Ellen, welcome back to American Podcast. We are talking about American movies. And this week we have a very special episode. Are you ready to talk about the movie? You know, what you're doing sounds like a mix between Zoya the Destroyer and Tommy Wiseau. Oh, Ellen, <laughs> you're breaking my heart. You're tearing me apart. <laughs> tearing me apart, Ellen. Oh, how did I get that wrong? <laughs> Totally messed. What's the other one from the room? Uh, oh, hi, oh, hi, Mark. Yeah, okay. there you go. Or, <laughs> you're my favorite customer. <laughs> <laughs> you're my favorite we, podcaster. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So American Pickle. <laughs> We're talking about American Pickle. That's the reason for our silly voices. The your 20- silly voice. <laughs> your, your silly voice. My silly voice. My silly voice. The 2020 HBO Max film starring Seth Rogen and a brilliant Seth Rogen. Yes, yes, of course. One of the dual role movies. What did we think? Well, it's very, it, I'll say this. I know not necessarily our favorite movie, but it did earn the American title. So I think we should just start off by saying this is a an American story about immigrants, about succeeding in America, and about what you should do to maintain it or yourself. It's obviously an immigrant story, and then it becomes about family tradition and history and, I guess... And a lot of American societal trope. And yeah, I guess the ways in which one's success or the potential for success makes you lose yourself, the pursuit of that success... There's the chance that you lose uh, that connection to where you came from. It's trying to do a lot. And it's a very short film. A lot of religious themes in this movie as well. To add on to the amount of stuff that's got to be packed into 88 minutes. Going into it, I expected there to be more of an overt religious presence uh, in the film. It's obviously there in the first 20 minutes or or the first like 15 minutes, which I think is the most successful part of that movie. That whole opening sequence is really, really strong, starting in this fictional village Schlupsk and going through the whole sort of absurd storybook romance, because obviously there's there's death and destruction and uh, uh, anti-Semitism as they come across. But uh, that's some like the most effective parts of the story when he's doing the voiceover. The opening exposition made me feel really good about watching this movie. Like, okay, this is going to be entertaining and intelligent. And it kind of loses that as it goes, because I think it just essentially, I believe it to be an extended SNL character. Like, I could easily see uh, Seth Rogen's immigrant character being an SNL character and this being the movie they make about that character, a-, a la The Ladies' Man or A Night at the Roxbury. I do disagree with you, though. I think the religious aspect is what carries the movie because it also, at the end, is the conclusion is that he finally accepts his Jewish faith and the fact that he wasn't anti his religion the whole time. He was just burying a trauma and he associated his religion with that trauma. And them praying together at the end, I think it's pretty heavy on its religious themes, actually. I just disagree with you on that. And he goes back to Slupsk. And he, he finds his calmness, his, his center, his balance again by re-entering Temple for the first time in X amount of years. 
let's start at the beginning and then get to that at the end, because I think along the way, our conversation will illuminate why I don't think the religious aspect was as effective or as present, at least that, at least not as effective or present as I expected it to be given those first 15 minutes. But so the history right. is because this is an immigrant story, it grounds it in this fictional village called uh, Shlupsk, which in 1919, obviously they did this as like, so that they could do the exact hundred years later. But actually in 1919, there were Kiev pogroms carried out in part by Cossacks, like murdering lots of Jews. So like, this is a real part of Jewish history, uh, the pogroms and Jews being persecuted throughout the 19th century and early 20th century. It's interesting that there was a real grounded place for this to start specifically in 1919. I, I thought that was interesting. It also is a great way to motivate him to move to America. It sets that stage. Of course, there's nothing left for them. Their village is burned. Dangerous, yeah. They're not only looking for this uh, American dream, but they, they have to. There, there's nothing left for them. America is the only way that they can attain the things that they want, which is something I found really sweet. One of my favorite things about those opening 15 minutes is how modest their dreams are that Herschel just wants to taste seltzer water before he dies. I just think that's so sweet. So when Ben is talking about like how many pairs of shoes and socks he has and when he's able to give Herschel the seltzer, it really works and it's so fun to watch someone react to something as commonplace as seltzer with such joy. And it's these things that mean so little to us, things that we take for granted but mean everything to immigrants who come to this country just for the chance to reach a modest right. dream. And they do that really well. Like the first half of this movie before, I'll, and we'll get to it, but there's a point where it just kind of loses it for me personally, but Sarah Snook's great and so lovable in this, in her short amount of screen time, so that I think the most I felt in this movie was when he comes back and she's passed away. Like yeah. that is the most emotionally moving moment of this film, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, a, another quick uh, side note about Seltzer. I only remembered this on my second viewing, but Jews love seltzer. <laughs> I don't know why, and maybe it was just my upbringing, but it was always around on Saturdays at Kiddish after morning services, Saturdays afternoons when we like rotate which house all the dads were hanging out at and all the kids were running around. There was just so much seltzer everywhere. I guess I should have gotten on that train sooner. I could have made a buck in the uh, LaCroix craze, but. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And you did grow up uber religious so uh, not uber religious uh because obviously you know you was it more lift religious i'm not even going to not even gonna honor that with with a chuckle that was the worst <laughs> you gave a smirk though <laughs> let the fans know you did smirk oh let it be known i smirked <laughs> at a lift joke um no i grew up orthodox jewish i did grow up orthodox jewish and so yes from friday evening to saturday evening no driving no writing no tv nothing like that no talking on the phone um so really we would start the morning we would do friday evening services and then saturday morning go to services for several hours have a big kiddish big big uh lunch and then go to whomever's dad's house and hang out there until basically evening services and then the sun go down and then we go to Blockbuster and rent a movie. That was basically every weekend until I was about eight years old. So yes, I expected to have a pretty strong connection to this film. One thing that I noticed that was a bit incongruous to me or didn't really make sense, I noticed that he and Sarah 
speak Yiddish in Schlupp's, but immediately upon living in America, they speak perfect English, which obviously makes it a lot easier when he wakes up in the future so that he doesn't have to learn English, but it's also just completely unrealistic. Well, if that's the most unrealistic thing you have a problem with, then buckle up, buddy boy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have as much a problem with it because it is a comedy that doesn't take itself too seriously. Not everything can be Inglorious Bastards. You mean in terms of the reality of what languages people would be speaking? Sure, I guess I just meant if they were going to truly articulate the immigrant experience in a more meaningful way. I they would could have, have struggled. I, I, yeah, and I would have expected them to address that more. The anti-Semitism that is kind of thrown away in just one line as they're arriving at Ellis Island, you don't see that as they're walking around Brooklyn. You don't really see that in the job where he works. So I get that they're trying to crunch the entire him coming to America, him getting pickled in brine, like get that out of the way as quickly as possible and then write it away from the scientific perspective mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. But that's part of why the commentary on immigration doesn't feel as effective as it could be. I do love the montage of American ingenuity. I don't know if you appreciate that as much as me, but Herschel building the business with his own two hands, no one helping him out, figuring things out on his own was like one of the really coolest sequences for me. Like this guy's just going to figure it out. He has no idea what the 21st century looks like, but he's going to do it. Well, when you say that that's part of them showcasing the immigrant experience, like nobody's going to give you anything. You've got to figure it out for yourself. Absolutely. But what I think undercuts that American dream that he's seeking is that Herschel's pursuit of success once he gets into the pickle business is rooted more in revenge against the Cossacks and against Ben than specifically about making the Greenbaum name mean something. Right. I I will just say, and I said this to my fiance when we watched it, neither of the two main characters, Herschel or Ben, am I necessarily rooting for. Like they both kind of have these negative ways of going about their business and neither of them is pure of earth. Sarah Snook's character is the most likable character in the film and she's gone quick. So we're stuck with Ben, who's kind of annoying, to be honest, and Herschel, who's clearly the more likable of the two, but is still kind of like rough around the edges, which I get it's part of the character, but us as the audience, we're supposed to love the rough around the edges, not necessarily be like put off by it a little bit. And I had that problem. Yeah, the character that he is in those first 15 minutes or so before he gets brined feels so out of line with the character he later becomes. Right. You know, this is a guy who was willing to kill rats just for a shot at providing a better life for his Mm -hmm. family. And now everything he's doing, they try to say that it's like, okay, he wants to create this clean burial plot for the green bombs. But that's not what he said when he woke up. He woke up and he was like, I hope that my great grandson is the guy who's going to make the green bomb name the the strongest in the world. And then it goes completely away from that. Um, Into this like hijinks ensued game of, you know, that classic 90s movie trope where it was like two characters constantly getting one up on each other in the most ridiculous ways. And it's like, why? Why are they going this far out of their way to take each other down? There's no real feeling of justification in that regard. Well, they'll go to these ridiculous lengths to one up each other when really it wasn't established that they should hate each other that much. Like really they shouldn't hate each other at all. They just get like annoyed with each other and then it turns into like a prank war movie and it doesn't fit. It doesn't 
like they had such a great setup in the first 20 minutes and it goes it goes missing right and, and back to the like when herschel's an immigrant first coming to america and in Shlupsk, he's so much more of a hero and then he gets over here and even though it's a hundred years later and i get the commentary that it was a different time that's something we hear a lot in today's society it was a different time and it turns him into this like i couldn't tell what the filmmakers were going for were they like supporting the theme that this is a good guy but he had different beliefs back in the day so we shouldn't hate him for that or were they saying we should hate him for that and he should have known better back in the day? I think it's a little unclear what they want us to feel and think. And that's a big problem for me. Yeah, I, I agree. The whole hijinks ensuing one-upsmanship just totally takes it away from what was otherwise something that could have been really heartwarming. Yeah. Um, something that could have stayed grounded emotionally. I think if they stuck with their guns and made the story about Ben learning from Herschel that pulling up your sleeves, getting your hands dirty, and just grinding it out until you get success would have been a way better story than the U-turn we take as an audience about a half hour, 45 minutes in, where we don't come back from it. And then they shoehorn the last five minutes into they're all hunky-dory and we're just supposed to accept it. Yeah, I have more on that later. Um, So back to where we're at now. So another thing that undercuts the idea of the American dream is that Herschel continues to live and work out of the park when he's shown to be a huge success. Like even in 1919, he had an apartment with his wife. So I don't know why he wouldn't choose to live in one now. That well, could have been. He, in- does he have any money? Yes, we see him tucking oh, the right, money right, away right, in his right, park. Right. He actually. You're saying, okay. So we see him get charged a bunch of money from the health inspectors. We don't ever see him pay that off, but we do see him running a really successful enterprise again. We see a venture capital company coming in. That could have been a really interesting sequence of him looking at apartments in Brooklyn or in Manhattan or something and not Settling for a dumpy place because he's like, this is good Yeah, or whatever, or asking questions that you would never ask now. Like, uh, you know, you could, his old timey racism or whatever could have exposed itself. You don't even know what could come out of his mouth when he's looking at apartments. Um, Right, and I would have liked to spend more time with him discovering America. There's a shot, which didn't make much sense, where he's like leaving the hospital, looking up at skyscrapers, but he would have had to see them on his way into the hospital because he wasn't knocked out. He was awake when he fell out of the brine and scared those kids. So it's just like, it, it seemed lazy at points. And let's be real, if a guy gets pickle brined and comes out of the, I don't know, coma he was in, for a hundred years, they're not just gonna a blame him when he says something off color. Even the most liberal of person will give him a pass on that and be like, "We need to educate." They wouldn't be like, "Down with this man chasing him with pitchforks in the street." Right, right. And he's CNN. been awake. <laughs> he's been awake in 2020 for all of a week, and we're gonna yeah. and we're gonna roast him for it. And CNN, Fox News, everyone. This guy would be a millionaire just for his story rights alone. But society just like, they refer him like, ain't that the pickle guy? What? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that moves us into the conversation about American celebrity. And the first big question that you just touched on is, why isn't Herschel already a celebrity? 
like the film's plot hinges on Herschel right. going viral, whether it's his Brooklyn pickle business or his bigoted Twitter feed. But it also asks yes. us to believe that Herschel wouldn't immediately get booked on like Ellen and The Tonight Show and like Dr. Oz because they, he wants to know his like secret to youthful skin or whatever. Like he'd probably be the next Bachelor. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't make sense. And I explain this, like a show like Parks and Rec, I believe that the town of Pawnee is full of bumbling fools because they set it up beautifully. Now, why am I supposed to believe that America in this movie, why am I supposed to buy that they wouldn't have certain thoughts about Herschel? Why am I supposed to believe that all of a sudden he wouldn't be the biggest celebrity in the world? Why am I supposed to think that he wouldn't get a pass from people when he messes up? Why am I supposed to believe that people will eat his dirty pickles just because it's supposed to be hipster? People have more sense than that. And I don't know why they're expecting me to think that they don't in this film. Yeah, I think the fact that there's not an entire horde of reporters outside the hospital when he comes out right. is missed opportunity one. Like if he just said, no, I don't want any of this attention, then okay, then I can buy that he's not an instant celebrity. But people would still be trying to make him out to be one. People would still be trying to, this would cause a huge, now everybody would want to get pickled and wake up in a hundred years. Like it would just. Right. It would be the biggest news story of all time. And that's not an understatement. It would be the biggest news story of all time. And they have like a little press conference. And I think it's hilarious the way they like write away the science with right. the voiceover and he just like shows a chart and all the media is just satisfied but that still doesn't answer the question why he wouldn't immediately be like everywhere on the news and people wanting to book him please, please settle down essentially the pickle brine preserved him perfectly it's been 100 years but he hasn't aged a day that's impossible you don't honestly expect us to buy that do you what's the science behind it please let me explain the scientist explains. His logic is good. It satisfies everyone. Oh, God. Makes sense. Absolutely. Very clear. Right. So, and that's not us overthinking a lighthearted comedy. Like, we're not nitpicking to suspend our disbelief. We're saying we're willing to suspend our disbelief, but make us feel validated for doing so. And to the substance of our conversation talking about what makes it American they go into a sequence about him becoming a celebrity about going viral later in the film so right. so if you're going going viral later but not now and if you have that aspect in the film why wouldn't you go with the most obvious way to get to that right he can instantly become a viral sensation and they're saying well what are you going to do make pickles like boom you're already set and then his pickles become a hit um so later in the film it shows how celebrity and going viral provide these automatic bona fides to go into political office or be representative of a political movement, um, which I think is, is smart, even if, you know, maybe it could have been done sooner in the film or been done in a different way. But, you know, obviously we've seen that with Trump. We saw that with Oprah briefly a couple of years ago, Kanye, who gets a name check in the movie. Even this week, the St. Louis gun couple and the Covington prep kids spoke at the RNC right. like, because they went viral for good or bad. They therefore have earned a platform. So that does fit into that. Yeah. That is some pretty obvious, but, but it makes sense. True commentary mm-hmm. on the nature of celebrity in America in 2020. 
Okay, be that as it may, your stance on gender roles is so regressive that it would effectively limit women to a life of servitude. Exactly, servitude. Women like to serve. She has little hands for serving things to people in a very nice, graceful way. Women have nipples to serve milk to people. Women have hole in lower body to produce babies. In other words, serve babies. Out of hole in body. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Women like that. Yeah. <laughs> Incredibly offensive. Someone is Menzies. No. <laughs> that debate is certainly settled. Let's throw it to the audience for questions. Uh, you, sir. Herschel, wow, it's amazing to talk to you. What an honor. Honor to be here. I was wondering how you felt about the taxes that are crushing small businesses. I'm glad you asked. You tax Herschel. Herschel will do violence to you. Yes, terrible violence. Miss. Herschel, have you considered running for office? I would like office. I would like big office. I would like biggest office in America. Huge office. Have you yeah. seen Being There? Did you ever see that film, Being There? No. Hal Ashby movie. A lot of reviews have commented on that because um, it features a character whose words are taken or misconstrued in a way that they have more meaning than they actually do. Okay. So when he's talking about, when Herschel's talking about wanting the biggest office in the land, everybody assumes that he's talking about the presidency when like he even doesn't really know what he's talking about. Everybody right. else responding is just kind of filling in the gaps. Another American thing, because we haven't talked about the Ben character, is the modern jobs, the tech company standouts, the apps. They, they really hit Herschel with like, here is the polar opposite of what you live through and what our normal is today. I'm Ben, your great grandson, and I'm a web app developer. I feel like they just made every cliche choice you could to tell this story. In the piece that this film was based on by the writer Simon Rich, the character of Ben is actually a writer, not a web app developer. So I think you're absolutely right that they took that character and said, we're going to do something else with this character that paints him as the kind of person who would not have existed in 1919. Yeah. And when I said that, it's not necessarily that I have a problem with it. I'm just saying this movie makes obvious choices to some degree. And well, I some work and some don't. I think it's really smart that they have these characters be the same age. Obviously, it's a bit of a gimmick to get twice the Seth Rogen in here, and they have to look alike for the third act to work. But as an attempted thematic tool, I think it's interesting as a way to see yourself reflected in who you could have been back then or, or had you been born in a different time. Yeah, like, I, I think I liked that. I think I like that because you're looking at the way of life for, I don't know how old they're supposed to be in this movie. Let's say 30. Like a 30 year old a hundred years ago would have a wife and a family and a very like modest existence where they tried their best and were very happy. And a 30 year old now, they're still searching for a career. They're still at the bottom rung of their company, unless you're like, I don't want to say a wonderkind, but it's more common to say a 30 year old still making their way in the world than already settled. So it is a great touch. I will give the film that for sure. 
Yeah. I mean, have you ever looked at photos of your grandfather at like the age that you are now? They look, uh, they look 50. Yes. I, looking at photos of my grandfather in his 20s, he looks like a full-grown man. Even my dad, who went to high school in the 60s, his yearbook photo, all the people in it, they looked old. <laughs> yeah, and, and they, because they had to grow up a lot faster. I mean, you got to a certain age, you moved right out, you started a, a career, not just a job, but a yeah. career, got married, had kids, settled down, bought a house. Now, obviously, plenty has happened in the economy to which, like, that would not be possible, that it just isn't possible for people who are in their 20s or, or 30 right now. There's a lot that happened in America, which prohibits that. Right, which they do not address. So what could have actually made this film more effective, like, obviously, Seth Rogen isn't going to play 20s anymore, but if he were in his 20s, it would have been such a more interesting contrast to Herschel, this guy who is unshakable in his pursuit of success with a less adult Ben, a Ben who's still going out and partying, who's still got so much to learn about what's important in life, a, a guy who's still got roommates, like living in some ramshackle apartment, some rat-infested or cockroach-infested apartment, rather than something that's like really nice that has all the creature comforts of contemporary society. This film would have benefited from a roommate-type character. Absolutely. Um, we touched on this a little earlier, but what's really lacking is what you typically expect from a buddy movie or like an odd couple movie. They really don't share that much screen time together throughout the middle of the movie where like everything's happening. Yeah. And this could have had some really interesting like odd couple buddy moments, Herschel and Ben learning to see the world through each other's eyes. And it totally misses that opportunity to make any sort of clear argument about why family and tradition matter. You and know? it could have it really leaned into seeing other people's points of view. And it just becomes, honestly, all the hijink stuff make me not like both characters. And Ben is so over the top in his pursuit to take down Herschel that it's like jarring, like quite honestly. Well, it's, we, yeah, we don't really like either of these characters. They're both vindictive to some degree. Like, we don't get to see them go through things together. Right. Again, it would have been a better movie to have them be, be nice to each other and just kind of like fail together. Yeah. And, and make it out of it. That would have been a better Have their film. differences be the thing that drives them apart, ultimately, not just this one thing. Right. Because what's every buddy comedy have they have that falling out and they get back together this does that but the way we get there is so unwarranted i was put off as soon as ben sabotages herschel for the 50 millionth time i'm like enough enough like this movie could have gone in a much better direction and it loses the american aspect by doing that it's a much more american story if these two guys work together see each other's views and ways and have that be how they both achieve success yeah you want to see them together more because this movie is trying to say something about family and tradition. We get them together at the beginning, they're driven apart, they become vindictive, and they come together at the end. It just doesn't work to say anything substantive. You mentioned at the beginning that Ben finds his way back to religion at the end, but he doesn't really. He's not making any sort of choice. He's deported so going back to Schlepp's wasn't his decision in the first place. And then he has nowhere else to go, so he goes into the synagogue. He doesn't choose to become part of the Minion. He's invited to be part of the Minion. Mm. So this lack of, of choice, this lack of agency from his character to rediscover his roots, it's completely... He Mr. Magoo's into it. 
yeah, he, he makes no decision around that. I think also the hijinks don't work, A, because we want more for the characters, B, because really there's nothing ever at stake for Herschel. There's nothing ever that would ruin his life because he came into this modern day world with nothing and is more than prepared to move on as such. Like no matter what Herschel does, he's never going to make an excuse. He's never going to feel sorry for himself. He's going to be like, what is next? So like, there's nothing ever at stake. Even when he loses his business, like, yeah, he seeks revenge on Ben, but you never feel like Herschel's life is so much worse now because he lost the little bit of 15 minutes of success he had. I don't see the the weight to this story. Yeah, in, in its attempt to touch on various aspects of American life in 2019 and 2020, the American immigrant experience, aspects of American celebrity, aspects of the American family and religion or, or lack of religion in today's society and the importance of family tradition. In its attempt to do all of that in 88 minutes, I think it's completely ineffective at all of it. I mean, about the American immigrant experience, there's no inclusion of the contemporary discussion of immigration in America. How, and if you're, how is that missing? How is that missing? It really just doesn't make any sense. And then the, the sequence of American Celebrity, in my reviewing of the film, it's like 10 minutes, not even. Yeah. It barely registers. When and in ex- that 10 minutes, they just try to hit some cancel culture aspects and they move on. And they move on. Yeah. And I want to say another thing. Another thing that like, it was like something where I went, wait, what? He, you set up the fact that he wants to be successful to buy back the cemetery. He does that within like 20 minutes of wanting to do that. And I'm just like, that should have been the big finish that he was able to salvage the gravesite. Not, okay, I did it. And now I'm a big celebrity. What? Like, to me, this is a movie of disappointing decisions. I think it's a movie that had a lot of ideas it wanted to get to, had a lot of like moments of absurdist comedy it wanted to throw in there, but really lacked the the grounding, the the emotional grounding that's required to make the ending that they get to satisfying. Like uh, I was expecting this movie to be a lot more heartfelt than it was. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, Ben embraces his roots as a means of finally taking to heart his parents' deaths, but then Herschel just shows up so they can forgive each other and move on. Yeah, And, and the movie doesn't leave room for significant growth for Ben's character, so having them come back together in the end is expected and unsatisfying. It's also unsatisfying because, like I said earlier, it's not justified. Right. And him dropping a piece of paper with the best youth penmanship I'd ever seen Uh, signing that drawing so like the penmanship compared to the drawing the penmanship's way better i expect a better picture out of this kid it's almost like the easiest way to say ben really did love like we never doubted that ben loved his parents in fact we were reassured of that fact by how affected he was by their deaths like never did we as an audience go man ben really when his parents died he really resented them no he was so devastated that he lost touch with everything he knew up until that point because he had to bury it because it was a reminder of something he loved so much so when herschel discovers this paper and he's like boopa wow, Ben, who I thought was this not family-oriented person at all, oh, silly me, he loved them anyway. How silly, like, I just thought it was so forced at the end. I thought it was so easy. 
Well, it equates love of family with uh, or or your inability to mourn for your family or, or feel some connection with people who came before you with one's connection to faith. And that's not necessarily... It doesn't always go hand in hand. Yeah, exactly. That's not, that's not necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, people can grieve and, and mourn in any number of ways. Also, Herschel- we never show that it's, it's necessary for Ben to reconnect with faith in order to grow as a character. It's just there at the end. Okay, well, I guess I'll do this and then I'll cry once and then I'll be a better person for it. Yeah, okay. it's... I feel like we're really coming down hard on this movie, but I could—I think there was such a promising story to be told, which is why we're doing so. And Seth Rogen, I think, is really good in the movie. I think, just because I don't like his characters, I do think, A, funny enough, he has good chemistry with himself, which I don't know if that's true for every actor, and B, he is believable. I just think a better script would have put this thing on a different level than it is. yeah. And you could have done all the things that this movie is trying to do in a different way. I just don't think they succeeded in the way that they did it. I totally appreciate trying to talk about the American immigrant experience and American celebrity and family and tradition and faith. I like all of that. I love the setup. Again, like those first 15 minutes are incredibly rewatchable and really, really smart it just kind of falls apart after that. Yeah. I I put it there with Up in some of the most like the first 10 minutes being like so amazing that the rest of the film has no choice but to go downward. Right. I really like the first 15 minutes of this film are some of the most touching, funny, unique things I've seen in a while. And then it just goes off the rails, in my opinion, as we've talked about. And I just want to talk to you real quick about the hijinks scenes, because it reminded me of every like cable guy type movie. And I think of movies like Big Bully with Rick Moranis and Tom Arnold. I think of stuff like that. And I'm like, these characters should be above that. And they're not. And the levels they go to, deportation, ruining a man's career in front of the whole world. Like, there's such extreme measures that really, really, I would have loved to see them in the beginning be like, let's help each other and we're family. Exactly. I I think this was aiming for more of a buddy comedy. It'd be like Pineapple Express, right? Two people with wildly different ways of approaching life forced together under extreme circumstances throughout the film whatever hijinks ensue they get pulled apart in the third act and then have to come together in order to succeed that's sort of what i expected from this movie and we got this yeah one-upsmanship rivalry thing that so out of the blue didn't work yeah and I was hooked because even at the at the scene where he comes out of the hospital, I thought it was a little goofy. I thought it was a little like silly, but I was ready for them to hang out and then yeah. we lose it. Yeah. And and I love Simon Rich. Like I think Man Seeking Woman is one of the best TV series of the 2010s. His work on Saturday Night Live is phenomenal. But uh, did, did you did you have your list of things you wanted to mention or have we basically touched on everything you I think, thought worked or didn't work? I think we touched on it. The, the cancel culture thing was the only thing I think they really didn't make a clear decision on when they brought, when they, because there's the line at the end where he's like, in America, anything you say wrong, you're done for. And Seth Rogen's like, that's not true. And I'm like, okay, 
that's one way to look at it. But in the scenes prior, you implied that it would be true for Herschel. So where's the apology tour, which they say they're going to go on? We're just asked to believe everything's going to be okay. And they set up these ridiculously high stakes, which they did not need to. And we would have been much more on board. Yeah. So other than that, other American things, uh, the idea of a 1919 job being at the local factory, very American. The idea of modern apps and technological culture, the social media, all fits in America. That's all very on the nose. The, the family dynamic, the generational thing, which is a world pride thing, not just America. It's, it's all there. I just think it's rushed and not told in the best way possible. Yeah, I think all that's spot on, comparing and contrasting 1919 America with 2020 America. I think all of that makes sense. I love the fashion in Brooklyn. Like, I think that's spot on. My most American moments that I picked out, um, bigotry on Twitter, not exclusively an American thing, but... That's a worldwide thing. But but Twitter's an American invention, so we can sure. kind of own that one, uh, unfortunately. Um food waste. Herschel is able to build a business out of entirely discarded items. Now things like Imperfect Foods and other companies like it exist that are ostensibly trying to address food waste by repurposing it. But yeah, American waste. Um, I just liked the line, $4 is appropriate for one pickle. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that burns. You can feel the burn. Like, I can like, smell it in my eye. Feel oh, the stink. Give it to me again. Let me smell it. Mm, yeah, that's straight from the devil. Mm. Satanic. You know uh, what? Stinks. It would go so good with the kelp ceviche. Oh my God, that's right. How yeah. Much, how much do we owe you? You you want to buy? Of course. It's four dollars for people. Three dollar less than big store, and I include the scum. Okay. Sure. Yes, scum. Oh, scum. Scum it is. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know how to. No, I mean, it seems like $4 is appropriate for one pickle. Yeah, unless you got a coupon. <laughs> like, especially in a place like Brooklyn, or you could see this take place in, like, San Francisco or, or Los Angeles, that we just accept things are overpriced if it's, like, artisanal or... or there, there's a great moment where Herschel discovers he can do that. Part. Yeah, later he's like, it's $15 for one pickle and then $10 <laughs> extra if you want a picture with me. Um, fleeing to Canada. A lot of people I'm talking to are ready to get out of here, so could be an American thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll look back at this movie like ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, speaking of ahead of its time, actually, the thing that I picked out as the most American moment to me, working from home. Very, very good idea. Yeah. And this was pre-COVID. So This was, yeah, written pre-COVID, shot pre-COVID. So in 2020, obviously, everyone especially in America is working from home because we have totally bungled the response of the pandemic, except no one is fully dressed working from home the way Ben is. There's no way Ben is consistently like, he's even got <laughs> hats on when he's working. He's got like layers and pants and shoes. He's not even like doing Zoom calls and he's fully dressed to sit at his desk at yeah. work. There's no way, especially Seth, us kind of Seth Rogen character. You'd expect him to be in like <laughs> athletic shorts and like a three week old has never, hasn't washed his shirt, you know? Yeah. 
And we're supposed to believe that Seth Rogen's a like, is he a success? Or, like, he's been working on Boop Bop for like five years, but he lives in this pretty spacious Brooklyn apartment. So where is he making his money? Well, they allude to the idea that his parents would have left him some money. But then in the context of that same line, he says that he doesn't have that much left. So right. now I like him even less that his parents left him all this money and he's wasted it on this spacious apartment when he could have been <laughs> investing in himself the way they did. Yeah. And I, I just want to touch upon it again that Seth Rogen's acting over the years has become so much better. And I'm not saying he was bad initially. I'm just saying like from Knocked Up to this, the growth is exponential. Like his way to connect with an audience and stay in the moment and everything is not just a Seth Rogen trope. He did not play Seth Rogen in this movie. He played Herschel and Ben, two characters who have Seth Rogen-like qualities, but are not just exaggerated Seth Rogen. Yeah, I think he did great as Herschel, I think. Yes. Aside from how we feel that character was... Writing aside, writing aside. Writing aside for, for both characters, yeah, I think he did an incredible job. And um, do you have a rating for this movie on the American scale? <laughs> I give it uh, two raw fish heads. I'll give it one stamp at Ellis Island. That's fair. Yeah, I thought you'd be more generous. You actually have made me dislike it more than when I first got out of it. So, (laughs) So, well, I think you know, giving it a low rating, like we both did. When I dislike something, it's not that I hate it; it's that I'm disappointed in its narrative. It undercuts the things it's trying to say about the immigrant experience, about celebrity, and it undercuts the meaning it's trying to give to family and tradition and faith. But we're, we're missing the elephant in the room here. We haven't discussed the most important topic regarding this movie yet. What's that? Pickles. Oh my God. <laughs> of course. How could we, could we go through this entire episode without talking about pickles? Pickles are very American. They're used in a lot of American dishes, you know, Burgers often have pickles. They're with every sandwich at the local deli. What, what's your take on pickles? Dude, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I don't really like pickles. I hate pickles. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. <laughs> so we feel about pickles like we kind of feel about this movie. I like the movie way more than I like pickles. <laughs> uh, the only pickles that I truly enjoy are the family from Rugrats. Oh yeah, they were great. They were great. Little dill pickles. <laughs> a joke I just got. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what a fun way to wrap up the show. Yeah, sorry to rain on uh, the parade of anybody who enjoys pickles. Um, if you eat with either of us at a uh, at a deli or at a burger place, you are welcome to have uh, our pickles. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, right. Ben, it's been fun. It's been fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what we're doing, again, please give us a rating. Leave a positive review. You can give us your unfiltered opinion on Twitter at AmericanScene underscore. You can give us a follow on our Instagram at AmericanScenePod. And if you'd like to follow either of your patriotic co-hosts, I'm Ben Rosen on Twitter at NotThatBenRosen. And I'm Alan Austin at Alan underscore Austin underscore. And we'll see you next time. (laughs) 